to Revelation once again. First of all, to chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 7. Chapter 7. Commence at verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God! which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. What a scene that must have been. And what will it be? Saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. There's our song the throne of God and serve Him day and night in the temple and He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them they shall hunger no more neither thirst any more neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat and the idea is any more for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. May God bless this reading to our hearts. We began the subject of heaven last Lord's Day and looked at the four pictures of the church, metaphors of the church. Do you remember the four pictures? In chapters 21 and the first part of 22, you have the bride, you have the city, you have the temple, and you have the garden. And the focus there is on the relationship between God and His people, between the Lamb and His bride. The last two chapters of God's Word are pointing us to heaven. And if you're looking for physical features, you'll be disappointed. That isn't the focus of heaven, though it seems to be often our focus. You're not going to find such things as whether there are dogs or cats, or whether you're going to be able to fish or shop. Those are things you'll have to discover in the future. Heaven is a place of newness and renewal. It says 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And it says, Behold, I make all things new. And it's not really saying, some people say, well, are things brand new or are they renewed? Well, it seems to say, I, it doesn't seem to say, behold, I make new all things, but I make all things new. So is there a difference? We'll find out shortly. But what I'm trying to say is the presence of God Father, Son, and Spirit, the presence of angels and the presence of saints, patriarchs, apostles, martyrs. That is the focus of the subject of heaven in the last chapters of the Bible. Not the physical features primarily in, in such phenomena. It's the fellowship of God with his people and with saints, whether angels or people. And that's the focus. Four main metaphors. The bride, the purity, we're pure, we're sinless. The beauty and purity of the bride as seen in a white gown, for instance. A city, speaking of our security and our activity, it's called, it says and there's no temple because it's all temple because the God and the Lamb are there. So you still have the metaphor of the temple. In other words, there's piety, there's holiness, there's ministry. That's what dominates heaven. Purity, security, activity, piety, ministry. We're, we're serving the Lord. And it's a garden. There's also tranquility, felicity, if you will. What is your reaction when you walk into a beautiful garden of flowers and, and streams, fountains, and trees, and bushes? What is your reaction? Peacefulness, smiles, just good place to to sit and enjoy some rest and recuperation. Did you notice if you've read these chapters that John, as it were, was taken in a helicopter? Chapter 21 and verse 10, did you notice? And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. That was His best... It could be... in. A helicopter. Why doesn't the Bible say that Jesus returned? Why does the Bible say He returns on a white horse? That was the kingly transportation in the first century then. So obviously He's going to return in a very powerful way. Perhaps not even in any uh, vehicle of transportation but Himself with His mighty angels. A helicopter view being carried literally up, up onto a high mountain to be able to see from a vantage point. Have you ever been up in an airplane or on a Ferris wheel? 
And you can see perhaps miles around you. John was given such a view of, of heaven, if you will. But again, he is seeing fellowship as the main thought. Worship. Service. That's what heaven is about. Not about things, but about God, about people, about angels, about holiness. I'm actually focusing on the no mores of heaven today, but I do want to say that as you read chapter 21 and a portion of 22, this is what you probably would conclude, that heaven is a place of exquisite light, resplendent glory at having the glory of God, guaranteed security. The walls are unbelievably thick and tall. It's not saying, heaven, if it's that way, it would not seem to be free. So it's obviously a picture of the fact that heaven is a place of great security. It is a place where there's guaranteed security. A place where there's welcoming reception. There are twelve gates. But the gates are all open. It's a place of welcoming reception for the people of God. I don't anticipate dying and having to knock on a gate and ask Peter if my name is written in the book of life. I don't know about what you're expecting when you die. But Paul said to be absent from the body, he didn't say to be standing before a security guard. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It seems to be a blink of an eye. And you're there. And you're inside, not outside. A place of welcoming reception. A place of amazing perfection. It's four square. And it's equal in the length and breadth and height. What is that saying? That the believers are mature. The believers are perfected. They're the spirits of just men made perfect, we're told. A place of magnificent beauty. Let the Lord show us what that beauty entails. But these are the descriptions. Pure gold. Precious stones. Can you imagine a whole gate of one pearl? What are the size of the pearls that you and I have ever seen? Perhaps not even, maybe not even touched. Maybe the size of a, a pea. But can you imagine the size of a... I mean, it's just amazing. The beauty. The valuable nature. And it gives us all of those precious stones from jasper to pearls. It's going to be a place of amazing, magnificent beauty. There will be a godly league of nations, we're told. A godly league of nations. For the nations will walk in the light of, the, of heaven. Can you believe that someone actually said that the Gentiles will be outside? They're walking in the light of it. They're not in it. Unbelievable pride. 
Even the Russellites will say there's only 144,000 that have inner privileges. Oh no, walking in the light of it is being in the light of it. It's a place of constant refreshment, overwhelming refreshment, a pure river, a clear river of water, trees with constant fruit-bearingness. You know, it's kind of... We have so many things that are beautiful for a little while, for a short time. After the fire, we had the privilege and the labor. Some of you helped to to replant some things or to plant new things. And I planted a rhododendron outside the study window. Uh, I was going to plant it closer to the woods, but I heard that dear love rhododendron. So I wanted to enjoy a rhododendron and put it right outside the window. And this is the first year it had flowers. Planted last year. Beautiful pink red flowers, right? And they were there. I enjoyed them for one day, two days, three days, maybe a week. And all of a sudden, it's over with. They're done. We have a, a big, I don't know if it's one plant or a bush, but peonies. P-E-O-N-I-E-S. Beautiful blazing red. And now they're, 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 they're going to, to seed. We just enjoy these plants, these flowers for just a short time. And how about, how about our fruits and vegetables? Small fruits and large fruits. I remember in, at West Virginia University taking horticulture and we had a class on small fruits and a class on large fruits. But how long do they last? We have strawberries now, a a month behind the south. And they're picking strawberries. But how long will that last? Next week may be the the last of the pickings. Cherries will come soon in July. And then they'll be gone. And then blueberries will come. And cherries or or our raspberries and other kinds of berries. And I'm missing things. We have, then in the fall we'll have apples and peaches and grapes. But before we know it, the leaves will turn brown and the leaves will fall. And then we'll have the beauty of snow and winter. Now we're not told that there's going to be seasons in the new heavens and the new earth. There may be. But I don't think there'll be blizzards. Maybe we'll get to see them if the Lord allows us to have mountains at a distance to view snow-topped stone mountains. It will be more than we can even take in. But overwhelming refreshment. That's what these indicate. The Bible teaches will be a beehive of activity. His servants shall serve Him. They shall reign forever. They shall see His face. Sweet communion. Beehive of activity, but all the sweet communion. His name shall be in their foreheads. What does that mean? He will always be on our thoughts. 
He will be always in our thoughts and in our heart. We won't have to remind each other, let's know the Lord better. We will get to know the Lord better and better. We are still finite, though we are perfected. So we will be growing and growing and growing forever. Won't it be wonderful to sit? I hope I get a front row seat at least once when Jesus preaches to us like He preached to the disciples on uh, the mount or when He was sitting in a boat teaching as they were on the shore. What a day that will be. And yet, remember, brother and sister, we sit at Jesus' feet still today though we can't see Him. A place of unending victory, they shall reign forever. Of permanent holiness, he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. A place of unimaginable blessing. The very last beatitude. It's a beatitude. Blessed are they that keep His commandments. Do you know we'll be keeping His commandments forever? It'll be one long Sabbath day. Is that attractive to you and me? Do we look forward to the Sabbath day in one in seven? If we're enjoying today, we're preparing. It's a rehearsal for the eternal Sabbath in heaven. So, this is really what the Lord is teaching us of the generalities that He's going to show us the specifics of later. Again, exquisite light, resplendent glory, guaranteed security, welcoming reception, amazing perfection, magnificent beauty, a league of nations, We won't all be the same color. We'll be different shades. We may not all speak the same language, but we'll we'll understand each other. Wouldn't that be wonderful to know 20 languages and then to be able to listen to 20? I wish I could do that. You go to Niagara Falls, you can probably listen to about 30 languages. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be an evangelist at Niagara Falls and in no 30 languages. We will in eternity. Where this will now be the reverse of the curse. The fact of many languages today is an indication of God's curse upon man's rebellion early. But in heaven it says the kings of the earth, many nations will be there. It will be an evidence of God's blessing. This variety. There will be overwhelming refreshment a beehive of activity, sweet communion, unending victory, permanent holiness, unimaginable blessing. I'm sorry that I can't answer what we will look like. can't answer that. I think I can guess that people who have been sad that they couldn't carry a tune today and were mocked for it will probably have the sweetest voices in, in eternity. And we will enjoy as they lead the choir. Right, Mr. Brindell? 
You have good company. Mr. Andrew Bonner could not carry a tune. But Mr. Brindell can carry a tune. We listen to it it's as we sing in Sunday school. I can't tell you what we'll look like. Will there be children there? It seems there will be children there. Infants, it even talks about. But is it figurative? Can, children on, can, can little children enjoy the perfection of everything and the maturation of everything? Of course they can. If they're glorified. And I just can't answer. Are there pets in heaven? Of course there will be. Nothing will hurt. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. We'll welcome all kinds of chipmunks in heaven. We've caught five already. This building is not only owned by bees, it's owned by chipmunks. But we're catching them slowly but surely. Two more today, total of five, maybe seven by the end of the day. But don't worry, we're letting them loose to enjoy a new environment. Will there be swimming? Will there be horseback riding? Will there be jogging and gardening? And Will there be mountains and valleys and meadows? Will there be a, col- a color explosion? Will there be dinosaurs? Will there be dogs and cats? Not poodles, as Ken Ham says. No poodles. Maybe there will be a lot of poodles. To his chagrin, he won't be sad at it. Will there be fruits and berries and nuts? Will there be domestic and wild animals? They won't be unsafe. Will there be games? Will there be lectures? Will there be choirs? Will there be symphonies? Of course. Will there be beaches? There will be no promiscuity. Will Will there be lakes? Will there be rivers? Will there be oceans? Well, it says no more sea, but that might be metaphorical for no more danger that represented for the Israelites. As you heard before, the shortest book in the by the shortest book in history is Israel's naval exploits. Most certainly, I'm just taking a thimble, as it were, and filling it in an ocean to describe what may be in heaven. Aren't you looking forward to being there, brother and sister? But it's interesting how many things that we're looking to to be in heaven, when the Bible talks a lot about what isn't going to be in heaven, you know that's a, that's a good thing too to talk about the the uh, the list of what do we say the the I can't pull it from my mind but um, when you when you speak about something that isn't going to be there it's and I'll pull it out soon but the no mores of heaven can we l- l- list those from the Bible, especially the book of Revelation. Process of elimination, that's what I was trying to say. It's as if the Bible has given us the process of elimination. Here's what's not going to be there. Now use your imagination for what is going to be there. 
if the opposite isn't there, then the positive opposite will be there. There will be no more persecution, imprisonment, and hard labor. We're told in 7.16, they'll hunger no more, they'll thirst no more, the sun will not burn them no more, nor will they have heat. That's describing martyrs who've had to work in excessive heat and had sunburn and hunger and thirst. Have you ever labored and your mouth is like cotton? There will be no more persecution, imprisonment, and hard labor. The opposite will be true. There will be liberty. There will be vacation. There will be, there will be absolute enjoyment of our life. No threats. There will be no sadness, we're told. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And it seems that chapter 7 says it to say that we won't have any sadness. It's also told in chapter 21 where God will wipe away all tears from their eyes and it seems like it's saying right after we see all whose names were not written in the book of life being cast into the lake of fire. Does the Lord want us to be uh, granite? Will we not weep? Jesus wept over Jerusalem knowing that it would reject Him and, and the slaughter they would experience under the Romans. Will we cry when we see the lost stand before God both small and great? Not crying as if we think that God is unfair, but because we loved them. And we deserved to be there. There will be no more sweat. They shall rest from their labors. Chapter 14 and verse 11. There will be no more beasts and false prophets. They will be cast alive into a lake burning with fire and brimstone. No more false teachers. No more cults. No more false doctrines. No more disagreement among believers. We'll know whether we should have been amillennialists or millennialists or post-millennialists or some other millennialists. We'll know whether we should have baptized infants or adults or both. Whether we should have baptized by immersion or sprinkling or pouring, or all three, and maybe more. There will be no more devil and his angels. They will be tormented day and night forever. And ever, the Bible says, it seems like those who are lost have still a sense of time when they'll wish that there were no calendars and watches. But you and I will seem to lose a sense of time. Have you ever lost a sense of time more often than not. But usually when you're having fun or you're busy at work and how the time flies. But you and I will not have to say, we've got to hurry up and finish this. The sun is going down. And there's a, a timeline of us having to finish a project. 
death and hell will be no more. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. You and I are facing death every day we live. We're surrounded by a cemetery. We're surrounded by death. It's going to meet us very soon. Grim death. But brother and sister, to the believer, it doesn't have a pitchfork in its hand. It is a butler to bring us into the presence of God, but still is an enemy, we're told. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. No more death. No more unsaved. Chapter 20 and verse 15, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Can you imagine a world with no unsaved people? You can't help sometimes but just stand in your somewhere and try to say hello to someone and how, how futile it is at times. Just stand, Tiny and I stood at George's the other day to buy a hot dog or whatever was purchased there. and I just was trying to look at people in the eye as they walked past or stood in line. It, it was nearly impossible to get someone's attention just to say hello. When the believer is to greet one another, to say hello, to acknowledge each other. Can you imagine a world where everybody acknowledges each other as a friend, as a brother in the Lord? But I understand in some places it's dangerous to try to get someone's acknowledgement. They actually teach women in New York City to look down at the sidewalk when they walk, not to meet uh, men eye to eye. For that might indicate that you're vulnerable. Can you imagine a world where you're not vulnerable by being friendly? The Bible says that the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And you think of the effects of the fall that will be no more. No more moth, nor rust, thorns and thistles, cemeteries, trash. Think of all the real estate taken up by trash. There's a mountain, a literal mountain of trash. Looks, they, they make it look beautiful. In Virginia, we, there's a park. It's a, it's, it's a mountain of trash beneath. It's now a beautiful greenery. A park where they bring children to play. But it's trash. No more rock music. No more road kills, no more jails and prisons, no more fire departments, hospitals, police won't be needed, ambulances, no more predators, no more idols, no more profanity, no more war, no more military, no more wicked rulers. No more. No more. No more. No more fears. There was no more sea. Sea was the source of storm and piracy. So no more catastrophe, no more invasions, no more accidents, no more diseases. Even the road kills. You know, we need to use the things that are evidence of the fall to make us long for heaven. To see a, a dead deer, a dead raccoon, a, a, a dead possum, a dead dog. 
reminds us we're in a fallen world. We're in a dangerous world. Again, no more tears. This time, tears not from persecution, but from observation of condemnation as we see the wicked tossed into the lake of fire. No more death, separation from loved ones. No more goodbyes. No more sorrows, we're told. No more, what do we sorrow over? We sorrow sorrow over our own failures, our sins. We sorrow over our children when they are wayward. We sorrow over our parents who will not hear the Gospel. We sorrow over loved ones, husbands and wives that remain outside Christ. No more sorrow. Oh, the sorrows of being alone and yet full of, a house full of people. No more crying. The word is crying out. No more trauma. No more tragedy. Oh, the tragedy that caused us to cry out when my cousin's husband went down underneath the ice at a night of lake in 1971. 32 years old. The prime of his life. A great plumber. A great outdoorsman. But he didn't know the Lord. He may have come to know the Lord before. But I'll never forget my cousin crying out as she was taken by two people to the casket for the last time. Oh, the weeping and the wailing. And you know, it was enough for every young person to just be frozen. You know how normally at a, at a wake you see young children just giggling and, and laughing? There wasn't one person giggling and laughing in that room when that shriek came from her lips. No more pain. No more accidents. No more torturing. No more heartaches. No more headaches. No more pain. But you know, twice, three times, if not, no more sin and no more sinners. Look at chapter 21 and verse 8 compared to 22.15. The fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Eight lists. Eight in the list there. And it seems to say the first few are religious people that die unconverted. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable. That seems to describe people and their reaction to the Gospel. And of course, no murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. But notice, they're not at the top of the list. It's the religious lost that are at the top of the list. So it is. Well, the idolaters are toward the bottom. They are those that worshipped other gods. And then in 22.15, you have six. You have dogs at the top, which are vicious people. Sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and those who love and make a lie. Oh, how the Lord indicates that deceivers and liars are... Those things that characterize lost people. We ought not to be characterized by any of these things. 
The Bible says there will be no more temple. And I think the idea there is because it says God is the temple of it. All is temple. Remember, uh, R.C. Sproul had to carry his father around who was racked with all kinds of of uh, results from his his uh, being struck with um, stroke, and he had a dream that his father was in heaven, and he said, "Father, show me the glory." And remember his father's reaction: "It's all glory. It's all glory. It's all temple." In other words, our religion isn't confined to our prayer closets and to our pews. And we're not persecuted for taking it outside our prayer closets and outside our pews. It's everywhere we're talking and singing about the Lord. In days of revival, that's what takes place. The people are singing as they leave the church buildings. First of all, they don't want to leave the places of worship. And they're singing hymns to and from places of worship. Prayer meetings are happening at all times of the day. They're having to have services outside because they're packed inside. So the preacher has to leave the inside if he's not, if he's not scheduled to preach that point and preach a service outside. Can you imagine that occurring? All these pews would be full of worshipers and we couldn't fit another person in. And they were outside the windows and outside the doors. And we have to ask an elder. We have to ask a believer, would you go outside and have a service outside? That has happened in days gone by in some places of the world today. Oh, that the Lord would... It's Psalm 126. How's it begin? When the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. See how it's describing revival? Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. What's the rest of it? Turn again again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing Precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Spurgeon, Andrew Bonner, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, D.L. Moody, these men experienced times of tremendous revival, multiple conversions of sinners, saints being awakened after years of slumbering. No more sin and no more sinners in heaven. No more sin in us and no more sin outside us. The sun and moon is not to be needed. It doesn't say that it's not there. Verse 23 of chapter what 21. There may be there, but the splendor of God's glory is so great. Even Paul says, remember, I saw the light far above the dazzling of the noonday sun when the Lord Jesus appeared to him as He made His way toward Damascus. No shut gates. Can you imagine unlocked doors again? 
Was it like that when you grew up? Unlocked doors? It was. Didn't lock our car doors inside our driveways. Businesses were open. Now they're saying only have one door for people to enter a school. That's how dangerous a world we live in. No night there, we're told. Twice. Again, no fears. No night. You're not going to be... You're not going to be uh, alarmed by a sound or a sight like we are today, aren't we? Not worrying about someone sneaking in to rob us in the dark. Could it be saying no more sleep is needed? Over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible tells us to fear not something. Fear not. Someone said 365 times in the Bible it says that. One for every day of the year. No night there. No more. No more temptation, 21:27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. will never be tempted. No snake will get inside to tempt us to disobey God. As we read, now the serpent was more guile than any beast of the earth. Or after these things, Potiphar's wife laid her eyes upon Joseph. Or the devil cometh to Jesus. Or the Pharisees came. Or Judas cometh with a band of soldiers. No more temptation. No more danger. No more curse, 22.3. What a comfort that is. No second fall. There was one fall of man. No second fall. Because the second fall would would mean that Jesus would have to fall and everyone in Christ. No more curse. Again, chapter 22, verse 5. No more night. The first in 21-25 seems to be that night is a time when we're threatened. But in chapter 22 and verse 5, night seems to be in the context of ignorance. They have no need of candle or light of the sun. The Lord God giveth them light. He, the previous verse, they'll see His face and His name shall be in their foreheads. It seems to be saying that there's no ignorance in heaven. That we'll be learning, that we won't get it wrong. That we won't miss, miss uh, read something. That we won't... Uh, fail to capture something. You and I will be learning and that we'll be adding to our learning. How often do we listen to a message and the next one we forgot already the one previously? Oh no, we'll be building upon every sermon of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even as Hades tells us there's no knowledge. That's exactly what it means. In heaven there's no no knowledge. And the last part of Revelation 22 seems to say this to you and me about what we've just learned about heaven and all that the Bible has been saying since Genesis chapter 1. Number one, believe. It seems that the Lord is thinking, you guys think it's too good to believe, too good to be true. Look at 21.5. Write, 
For these words are true and faithful. Why would He have to say that? That He said that is true and faithful. He tells us they're true and faithful. Look at 22.6. These sayings are faithful and true. Now He reverses them. True and faithful. Faithful and true. He's saying they are. They are to be believed. They're not too good to be true. So we believe first. We behave. There's tons of verses in chapter 22 about behaving. Behold, I come quickly. In other words, get ready. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this book. Be obedient. 22.9 Worship God, not angels. Preach. Seal not these things. Verse 10. Be Christian. Be righteous and holy. Verse 11. The motivation of rewards, verse 12. God begins and finishes His work, verse 13. The benediction on those who are obedient, verse 14. Christ is infinite and incarnate. It's the atonement that populates heaven, verse 16. He's saying, behave. Believe and behave. And He tells us in verse 17, evangelize or beseech people. Say, come. Remember our memory verses. Come, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, take of the water of life freely. We're to plead, beseech souls to believe that these things are not too good to be true. That you won't taste of these things unless you come to Christ. You'll have everything opposite than these great blessings described. Verse 18, Respect. Trust God's Word. Don't add to it and take away from it. Verse 20, have a judgment day mentality. Surely I come quickly. Three times we're told that in the last chapter. Verses 7, 12, and 20. Behold, I come quickly. In other words, be on the edge of your seats. Be poised for my coming. Don't predict the day and the hour or even the month or the year. But know that I'm coming. I'm coming soon. You could be brought to me sooner than I come to you. We have every reason to be poised and prepared. Verse 20, pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray for Christ's coming. Let's pray for heaven to appear. We know that we've experienced heaven. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. But pray for the Lord to come. And And bless one another with these words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And are we surprised by the last word of the Bible? Amen. May these things be so. We're confident that these words are faithful and true. And true and faithful. Oh, brother and sister, are we prepared for heaven? Are we breathing heaven's fresh air? Are we experiencing days of heaven on earth as Noah or as, as Moses predicted? The Sabbath is a rehearsal from heaven. How are we doing? Do we, do we want to spend a day with God? Do we want to spend an eternity with God? That's the state of the believer. This is a rehearsal today. Thank God for the hope of heaven. It's not a whistle in the dark. It's not a hope so truth. It's a no-so.